Thank you for tuning in to the Reclamation Church podcast. My name is John. I serve as the youth director here at Reclamation Church in Plano, Texas, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join us today. For our discussions episode, I'm going to be joined by none other than Erica Stalson. If this is your first time hearing about Reclamation Church, I'd invite you to visit our website at re.church. Well, hello, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> so formal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to be formal for the listeners. Otherwise, there's just chaos and it's anarchy. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, Erica is actually my fiance, and we are getting married next month on July 12th. And we are super excited. Well, I'm excited. Are you excited? Definitely. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Erica, can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself? Maybe your um, handsome fiancé, whatever his name is. Oh, you want me to talk about you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the listeners to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm Erica. John and I met when I was in college. John was born in Denton, and that's where I went to school. So we met at our home church there. Um, A little bit about my background and my story. So both of my parents grew up overseas. My mom was born in South Africa in Johannesburg, and my dad was born in New Guinea. And both of my parents were missionary kids. So growing up, I heard stories about them on the mission field and all these miracles, kind of like normal kids would grow up hearing about Peter Rabbit or something. I grew up hearing about stories of God working overseas. And as a kid, it was really cool to hear about. um, But I think I kind of, for a long time, thought of them as children's stories almost, (laughs) kind of. just because they were what I grew up hearing. And so I don't really think that my relationship with God became real for me until around high school. Mm. And when did you, like when in high school did did that happen? Well, I had a life group leader named Holly Cunningham who was um, really involved in my life growing up and she would show up to, I was on the swim team, so she would show up to all of my meets, which are like eight hours long and terrible. Jeez. And um, she would just really invested in me and in my family. And so I think that's kind of how I started to realize, okay, like this is a real thing and somebody really cares about my spiritual life. Mm. Um, and Holly was a high school teacher, so that kind of also inspired me to be a teacher myself. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So (laughs) I teach environmental science um, at a high school in Frisco. And um, I started in January. It's kind of a crazy story how I started and how I got the job. But I've been doing that for about six months and I'm on summer break right now. So I've really only done it for one semester. Wow, that's crazy. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about what changed when COVID happened? 
I mean, I know, but can you share <laughs> with our listeners just a little bit about that? Well, um, all of you guys probably know that everything kind of went online. And as a new teacher, that was kind of crazy because I, I kind of felt like I had just started to get the hang of it in person. And then it all did a 180. <laughs> and I was like, ah. But yeah, we changed to online. But for me, um, it was it was sad. It was really sad because I had started to build relationships with students. But also, when you teach six sections of the same subject, you find yourself saying the same thing six times in a row. So I was able to really, you know, get it really good once. And then I was able to send it out to my students and answer questions and help them through activities and stuff throughout the week. So it turned out to be um, okay. Obviously, it's always better in person, but somehow I made it through. Didn't think I would, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. Can you tell us a little bit about just wedding planning, just how it's it's been during the COVID-19? Yeah, well... Obviously, when we got engaged in November, we pictured having all of our family and friends at our wedding, as you do. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon after COVID hit, we started to realize, oh, no, this is more of a long-term thing. And so our venue is still only allowing 25% capacity. So we're just having family there. But just speaking for myself... I've never been like a super big party person. Like I don't super love crowds all that much. I'm more of an introvert. John is more of an extrovert. He could talk to absolutely anybody. So I think he's a little, yeah, I, I think he's a little bit more disappointed about it than I am. I'm still sad that some of our friends can't be there, but it has been less stressful planning a wedding with just our family there. I have like no wedding experience to kind of compare it to, but I can agree <laughs> with you. Yeah, I'm more extroverted than you are, and uh, I did want like a big old party to celebrate us getting married. But you know, God has a plan for everything, and I think He's going to use the season for something awesome. Yeah, I agree. So let's get into Tom's sermon. He talked about God grudges this past Sunday. And one thing that he said that I thought stood out to me and I would love your opinion on is he said, the devil wants to use your shame to drive a wedge between you and God. What, what do you, um, what, what could you add to that or say to that? Yeah, I think that in my own life, I've definitely experienced not an actual wedge, but the perception of a wedge between me and God, Mm. because the truth is that God never leaves you, but all of a sudden you can look back and you can realize that you're the one who has slowly kind of drifted because you think that God won't still be there because of what you've done. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. Um, He also talked a little bit about um, the difference between guilt and shame. And I think a lot of the times we as believers get those mixed up. We get guilt and shame both mixed up. 
all the time. Um, talked about how shame is when you say to yourself, I am a bad person. And guilt is, I am a person who did a bad thing. Um, can you tell us a story maybe in, from your past or not to put you on the spot, but <laughs> of a time where you thought what you were feeling was guilt, but it was actually shame. You know, something that you needed to seek help. And how did you go about seeking help in that moment too? Did you reach out to a mentor for wisdom? Um, just kind of walk us through that kind of story in your life. I mean, my immediate memory of something like this is kind of silly, but I'm just going to share it anyways. Um, so I recently moved out of a house that I was sharing with three other girls in Denton and my roommate and I, Katie, we had like a last roommate dinner type of thing just all together to celebrate surviving living with each other for three years and we were in the car on the way home and I looked at her and I said you know Katie if I wasn't getting married um and I wasn't moving out I would definitely live with you again for a fourth year just because you've been such a good roommate and I feel like we've just had the best time you know like we're very mm -hmm. compatible and Katie was like yeah I definitely feel the same way the only thing that ever really bothered me about you was that you would leave a peanut butter spoon like a like a spoon I guess after I use peanut butter I just apparently I was just leaving it on the counter and she goes but you know I just cleaned it up every day because that's just what you do <laughs> and I was like what because she had never told me that I was leaving a peanut butter spoon out for three years I was like why wouldn't wow. you tell me about this and I started feeling so bad about it because I was like, oh, my gosh, like I've been the worst roommate because of my peanut butter spoon. <laughs> and um, it was just like this downward spiral, I guess, in my mind where I thought all this time I've been just the best roommate and we have the best relationship, which is partly true. I don't think a peanut butter spoon is that big of a deal. <laughs> but I was just thinking about it and I just started feeling kind of ashamed I guess about it like mm -hmm. oh maybe I'm not as good of a roommate as I thought and maybe I'm not as good of a friend with Katie as I thought all just because of something really silly mm. um and I think it took me a couple days it sounds so dramatic to say to process it I don't even know if that's the <laughs> word but I ended up mentioning it to her again and I was like does that like really bother you that I did that for three years. And she was like, no, no, it's not a big deal at all. And I was like, oh, okay. So I think, I think sometimes we can, for me especially, little things. It's not always like the big things that I think the enemy uses to give me shame. Mm. I think a lot of times it's the little things that seem inconsequential that you would never truly think about mm. that end up kind of drifting you away from pursuing a relationship or pursuing God. Yeah, that's so very true. I, I think especially for me, um, being diagnosed with anxiety like years, years earlier, um, that's one thing that I can confidently say the enemy uses against me. 
he uses me um he uses those moments of me just kind of nitpicking different conversations and different things that I do and it just builds up anxiety and I just think about it and think about it and think about it and where it would come off as something I could change later it musters into into shame and it's something that I avoid and kind of causes me to shut down Mm. and so I can definitely definitely see that that happens I think a really good example of not allowing shame to dictate your next move would probably be Peter. I, every time I think about, you know, the enemy using shame versus guilt to switch our, our, our confidence and our motivations, I always think about the Apostle Peter. And I think about the time where, you know, he denies Christ three times after Jesus dies, right? And he's faced with a decision after that when he meets Jesus at the, um, it's a, uh, it's like on the beach or something. Yeah. It was like a campfire or something. Yeah. It was a campfire. And like Jesus like welcomes him in and Peter basically has a decision whether to accept Jesus's welcome or allow shame to dictate whether he deserves it or not. And I think a lot of us as believers need to step into that 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 space with Jesus, that understanding that, yes, we did mess up. Yes, we did miss the mark. But it's something that doesn't surprise God when we do it. And his grace is sufficient enough for us so that when we are back with him, there's no like hard feelings or anything. And even after that, Peter went on to do incredible things for the kingdom of God, it's just riddled through acts. And it's all because he didn't allow that decisions, those three decisions that he made, even after Jesus told him he was going to do it, he didn't allow those decisions to determine who he was in God's eyes. So that's like one of the things that I think about whenever we hear that story. Yeah, that's really good. And so Tom said something that was interesting. On Sunday, he said something interesting every Sunday, obviously, (laughs) but he said something that kind of kind of hits you. You know what I mean? It's like one of those one of those things that you don't really think about all the time. But when you start to analyze and everything, you're like, wow. And he said, God wants to use your guilt to draw you closer to his grace. And. At first, I was shocked that he said that. I was so shocked. I was like, whoa. But then I began to study that and think about it. And it's kind of true. You know what I mean? It's like, shame is like, uh, it's the, we talked about this, it's the wedge that drives us away from God. But more often than not, it's the guilt that allows you, I mean, it kind of shifts you so you can change your decision the next time you make it Mm. um i i like i just it's like i equate it to like the speed limit when you're getting a ticket you know what i mean Mm. it's like shame would tell you never to drive a car again but guilt is like i need to follow the speed limit like guilt is like take driver's head take driver's head or defensive (laughs) driving not you suck as a driver, 
you need to start walking and riding bikes. But I like that's kind of what I see whenever we talk about shame and guilt. Yeah. And it's very easy to get those mixed up, right? Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful the thought that God knows that we're not always going to hit the mark. Mm. This morning I was in my apartment and I was just thinking about how every day I allot like a certain amount of energy for the day. (laughs) This is something that John and I joke about a lot, but it's very true for me because I'm an introvert. And when I run out of energy, social or physical for the day, like I'm done. And this morning I was praying to God and I was just like, I just, I feel like I, don't ever have enough. Like I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough words to say. I don't have enough brain sometimes. Being a young teacher, I feel like Mm. I'm constantly trying to keep up. And I felt an overwhelming sense this morning of the Holy Spirit just telling me, well, of course you're not going to hit the mark. Like I didn't design you to. I didn't Mm. design you to always be full. Mm. I designed you to like spend time with me and to let me be your fill. Yeah, that's so true. It's like if we had everything, we wouldn't desire God. We wouldn't need God. And in the same way, like if we didn't ever fall short, we wouldn't need God's grace. Mm. And I think that's kind of what Tom was saying. Our guilt is a physical emotional manifestation of the fact that we don't hit the mark. It's a reminder that we're not perfect and that we need God. Mm. And I also almost controversial. I feel like sometimes in society or culture, guilt gets a really bad rap, Mm. but in the kingdom of God, it's, um, it sounds so weird saying this. It's like a tool that he uses to help bring us, draw us closer to him. It's a tool he uses to strengthen our faith. Yeah, because the truth is, there is a way of life that's best. And that way of life is the life that Jesus modeled. And when we feel guilt, it's us, I don't want to say not living our best life, but (laughs) truly, like, us not living the kind of life that is going to give us the most fruit and that's going to bring us the closest to God. Mm. Yeah. I forgot who said it. Um, I can't think, I can't think of his name, but he said that we are blessed with the spirit of guilt. Mm. It's a conviction yeah. that like reshapes the way we think, reshapes the way we do things. It's, it's exactly like a, a gift that God designed to help us as believers steer clear of making the same wrong decision over and over again. And what's interesting, um, I think C.S. Lewis actually said this. He said, the same key to heaven opens up the gates of hell. And mm-hmm. when you think about that, he's talking about our, our minds. He's talking about our, our hearts. He's talking about the different tools that God can use to strengthen us are things ultimately the enemy will try to bring us down with. Mm. So God may use guilt sometimes, convictions in our hearts to change and make a a decision a a second time the right way. 
but the enemy will use that same feeling and shape it into shame and make it drive a wedge between us and God and separate. Yeah. Do you remember who said, um, I forgot who said it, but they said that shame separates, whereas guilt draws us near. I want to say it was Jake Etheridge. Yeah, I want to say it was him too, but <laughs> I don't want to just give out, you know, like just a random quote and give yeah. it to the wrong person. But, but you know, the work of Jesus, the Bible describes Jesus or God as a husbandman, like a gardener. And a gardener, what they do is they take the plant and say a tree when a tree is growing it will cut off the branches that don't bear fruit because the plant uses a lot of energy to upkeep branches. And so the branches that don't bear fruit, they cut off so that the tree can use the energy to grow upwards and use that energy for the branches that do bear fruit. And I think a lot of times in our spiritual lives, the sin or the bad habits that we have, Jesus acts as our gardener and he says, I want to cut off that branch that doesn't bear any fruit that's actually hurting you. And we say, no, I grew that. That's mine. You know, that's a part of me. Mm. How dare you? And it feels so invasive. Um, But the truth is we need to trust God is a good gardener and not as somebody who's just willy-nilly trying to tear our life apart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. I think a really good example, especially um, in our relationship of this, of what we're talking about today, would probably be um, just during premarital counseling when we did it this past semester. You know, it was challenging. Mm -hmm. It was hard. I mean, you and I basically opening ourselves up to each other exposing every single wound and it was probably one of the most powerful moments in our relationship because we saw each other's branches that weren't bearing fruit yeah and as a team we decided which branches were going to stay and no pun intended, we're seeing the fruit of it now. <laughs> you know, we're seeing the good that comes out of owning everything, owning your, um, I want to say owning your, uh, fruitless branches. Yeah. Owning your fruitless branches and just exposing them to each other allowed us to grow and, and grow closer too. you know, I would say, after we did premarital counseling, I've, I've never been closer to you emotionally. Yeah. Um, and so I, I definitely agree with you. That practice is something that our, you, the listener, could do today, too. Kind of like a Christian Marie, uh, what's your last name? Marie Kondo? Marie Kondo? Like kind of like a Christian Marie Kondo. Just kind of analyzing some things in your heart, in your life, that you would consider fruitless branches. Maybe even knocking on them like Marie does, waking them up, getting them, getting them awake, alive. Does this bring me joy? Does this bring me joy? Yeah, exactly. And kind of just picking those things, understanding, um, like 
understanding like your position in that moment. So like when we say fruitless branches, we are saying like analyze the moments in your life and your past that you've determined as like untreatable or full of shame or, or like something that just kind of makes you think about where you went wrong. Someone told me once, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily a matter of looking at your life and saying what is sin and what isn't. Sometimes it's, you know, what helps me run and what gets in my way. Mm. And I think a lot of times the practice of deciding which branches don't bear fruit needs to look like that, you know, is reminiscing about your past or getting upset about failed relationships, is that holding you back from running towards what God has for you? Mm. Or, you know, your relationship or your purity that you're struggling with, is that holding you back from what God has for you, for the relationship that God wants with you? Yeah, that's so true. I love that. And Tom said that in his sermon too. He said, and it's literally, you echoed it. It's don't let the pain of the past rob you from the future God has for you. Mm. It's almost like what Edna Mode says in The Incredibles, where she (laughs) says like, I never look back. It distracts from the now. Amen, Edna. I know. She didn't have to go that hard. But she did. Yeah. But it's so true. And so for you, our listeners today, um, basically what we gathered from our discussions is find the fruitless branches in your life, maybe in the past, situations that you've deemed are robbing you of the future that God has for you, and lean into your community, finding freedom through the words of Jesus in Scripture. Um, one great story that would be incredible for you to um, read. It's very easy to read, obviously. And it's something I'll be talking about this Sunday is in Luke 15, the prodigal son. That's a perfect story of a son missing the mark, completely running away from the father. And yet the father showing grace and welcoming, welcoming him in. Erica, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah. I would just say to trust the gardener when he says that a branch isn't bearing fruit. I think that being a tree in the kingdom of God can be painful sometimes Mm. and it can be scary and it means you're exposed to the elements and at the hands of the gardener. And I just wonder what your life would look like if you allowed the gardener to cut off the branches that don't bear fruit. And I wonder how much fruit you would actually end up bearing because it seems like loss in the moment to let go of a sin habit or, you know, a relationship that isn't bringing you closer to God. But the truth is that the kingdom of God is full of, what is it, juxtapositions where Mm -hmm. it seems like something, but it's really another. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you for joining me today. I 
really enjoyed our conversation. I enjoy all of our conversations, obviously, <laughs> as we would be getting married. <laughs> and I look forward to having you on the podcast again. Well, thank you. For more information on Reclamation Church, please visit our website at re.church. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at re.church. Plano. Join us on Sunday, live at 10.30 a.m. via our website or Facebook Live. As we hear from me, John Bernal, I'm going to be teaching on Lost and Found an in-depth look at Luke chapter 15. I'll see you there.